but if you if you want to just look at 5G though it's spectrally more efficient there's a lot more bandwidth available especially in the mid-band or, or millimeter wave 5G can now deliver almost gigabit speeds that will rival traditional fiber so so that there have been all of these sort of factors combined with support from from some of the operators that that have really helped improve the reliability so you know that just as a as a as an example point recon analytics conducted a customer satisfaction survey and you know looking at what we call the nps or the net promoter scores and surprisingly fwa now surpasses cable and dsl uh, in uh, the net promoter score in terms of customer satisfaction these next gen 3gpp based systems are not just performing well but they are setting new benchmarks in customer satisfaction welcome to the 5g guys podcast the best resource for newcomers and industry insiders alike to explore not just 5g but anything technology and telecommunications we explore and discuss technology with guests of varying backgrounds and expertise to help you learn and stay current. So let's dive right in. Welcome the 5G guys themselves, hosts Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G guys. I'm Wayne Smith. I'm joined by my co-host Dan McVaugh. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode. Excited today to have a guest from Samsung. His name is TJ Mann, and he's going to join us today to talk about fixed wireless access. A little intro to TJ. He's responsible for the overall go-to-market and solution strategy for Samsung, driving both growth for the U.S. regional operators as well as public safety segments of the market. Um, he's got more than 20 years of experience in the wireless networking industry. He's worked in product management, technical marketing, and sales channels. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Wayne. Look forward to our conversation today. So maybe start us off by just explaining to our listeners what FWA, Fixed Wireless Access, is. Absolutely. So what this is, the acronym FWA, first off, it expands to Fixed Wireless Access, as you, you just mentioned. And at its core, Dan, what this is, it's an it's a shift. It's a strategic departure from the conventional models of broadband delivery, which predominantly have been these wireline technologies, be it cable, DSL, uh, more recently fiber. So FWA is basically the use of wireless networks as sort of the final stretch in providing homes with high-speed internet access. So it's FWA is, is about speed, it's about reliability, but more importantly, it's really the only practical, pragmatic solutions when it comes to challenged areas, particularly where DSL or fiber may face logistical issues, and FWA then becomes that sort of that smart alternative for efficient last-mile broadband deployment. From a historical perspective, Fixed wireless access isn't a new concept. This has been around for quite a while. Talk to us a little bit about the old days of using wireless for broadband and how it's changed as, it gets, as it's gotten to today's iteration of it. So yeah, you're right. The idea of using wireless for internet access in that last mile isn't necessarily a new one. 
But as we, as so if we de- delve into a little bit of the history lesson here, the rise of, uh, in the U.S., what we call the WISPs or the wireless internet service providers has been going on over the past decade. The, the, the WISP community overall has been instrumental in bringing broadband to previously underserved or unserved communities and have really played a pivotal role in bringing a broadband to these communities. The last five, seven years have has, has increased quite a bit. And particularly if you rewind to, say, 2019, 2020, before the pandemic, there were, say, about 1,800 or 2,000 registered WISPs in, in the U.S. that were collectively serving about 4 million customers overall. And you fast forward that to today, and that number is, according to WISPA, that number now is at got about 2,800 2,800 wireless ISPs in the U.S. that are now serving 6 to 7 million customers. And that's obviously a huge increase. And we believe the two catalysts that are fueling this surge are these government funding initiatives, subsidies that are available, particularly from the federal government to bridge the digital divide, right? So that, that has helped quite a bit. And secondly, there's obviously been a massive spike in the past few years in data consumption. And this has gone on through the pandemic year and it just continues to rise. That, that's been the trend. But if you look at the last two years, this landscape has evolved even more with the tier one operators now getting involved. So you're talking industry giants. So you've got Verizon and T-Mobile that have now stepped in and with their 5G are, are each now covering between 30 to 40 million homes. And these operators have now launched a wide range of FWS services. And this has brought a new sort of energy. It's injected a lot of capital into this ecosystem and has really transformed FWA from what used to be a niche solution into more of a mainstream play. And it has become quite a formidable competitor to traditional cable and fiber services. So analysts today widely recognize FWA as that it's a disruptive force in our industry and it is altering the dynamics of a competition. It's really reshaping the whole broadband market. So what's Samsung's role in the FWA market? How does Samsung look at it and what do they see as an opportunity? When with Samsung, we have a full suite of products. We are obviously leading a mobile infrastructure company, and we have our leadership in the 5G space, having been deployed globally with nearly every region. We've got tier one operators that are Samsung customers. And when it comes to 5G, we also now have a wide range and portfolio that we bring to the table. But particularly when it comes to FWA, we've got a few products that I'd like to talk about. We've got our, in the mid-band, we've got some very interesting products for C-band, the CBRS band 48, uh, 3.5 gigahertz, where we've got our massive MIMO unit, which is this radio solution that is designed from ground up for fixed wireless applications. It has the ability to using massive MIMO and multi-user MIMO, the ability to deliver simultaneously hundreds of megabits of throughput to hundreds of users on a single tower site. So we've got those products. When you look at millimeter wave with 5G, 
millimeter wave adds a lot of spectrum. And uh, our 28 gigahertz product there is quite unique in that it's got compact form factor, making a tower deployment a lot easier. So we, we are very focused on this market, not just with tier ones, but also the regional operators. We are engaged in many uh, projects here in this segment. And we've got a full suite of products uh, with radios in almost every band that, that you can think of. The acronym that you threw out of MIMO for our listeners that may not know is that stands for multiple in, multiple out, right? It's one of many technology advances that has made fixed wireless access possible, more reliable, more capable. I think in previous episodes, we described MIMO to our listeners that may not understand the technology as well as an engineer does is it's like having multiple ears. The more ears you have, the better you can hear, right? If humans only had one ear, we couldn't hear as well as we can with two ears. And so this technology is now using multiple radiation sources and multiple receiving antennas to be able to allow the subscriber device and the serving node to communicate better, therefore pushing more reliable service and receiving more reliable service. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, it's on, on, uh, both a transmit side as well as a receiver side technology. And with 4x4 MIMO, for example, you are able to transmit on four, on four antennas and receive on those four antennas as well. The MMU product I talked about, uh, that can go up to 16 layers. So that's a 64P64R uh, type of a radio configuration. So we're talking massive MIMO here. And in addition to driving up the overall capacity from a throughput standpoint, that clearly is one benefit. But with beam forming, we are also able to significantly improve the reliability and range of these communication and expand the reach of these networks. This episode of 5G Guys is brought to you by Vertex Innovations. For almost 20 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps its clients. So if you're in need of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. What has changed in the technology landscape in addition to MIMO um, from the time that, you know, fixed wireless access, wireless ISPs started working with, for example, when they first started deploying networks, they were using unlicensed spectrum, right? So they were all mm -hmm. having to share the same spectrum that we all use for our Wi-Fi service in our homes, for example. What other technological advances have happened that has allowed the current landscape of fixed wireless access to be a viable solution and more advanced than it used to be? So if you look at the factors that distinguish or how shall I say, maybe separate FW offerings today, from what used to be in the past, you uncover some very compelling dynamics. First off, there's been the evolution of technology itself. So now a lot of that is standardized and that marks a significant shift from what previously used to be these unlicensed proprietary systems that required an almost perfect line of sight type of an environment for them to operate. And even then, we're limited in terms of the speeds you could deliver were in the order of tens of megabits. So, so obviously, there has been this evolution of technology, standardization with LTE and now 5G-based systems is, appears like have helped a lot. The second issue, there is obviously now more spectrum uh, available at our disposal 
and especially in the mid bands, in the 3.5 gigahertz band, this the CDRS band that I talked about, that's got a, what, about 150 megahertz of new spectrum that is available. 80 megahertz of that is completely unlicensed. Now FCC is potentially even looking at opening up some parts of the 6 gigahertz band or for higher power transmissions. So, so there is just more spectrum available. And that has helped this evolution and helped us move away from these proprietary, unlicensed type of systems to where now we are able to deliver in not just near line of sight, but in, in many cases where sort of no line of sight uh, environments, you're still able to achieve very high speeds. But if you want to just look at 5G, that in and of itself has been uh, quite a game changer. So it's spectrally more efficient. There's a lot more bandwidth available especially in when you go into the mid-band or millimeter wave, 5G can now deliver almost gigabit speeds that will, in many cases, will rival traditional fiber. So that there have been all of these sort of factors combined with support from some of the operators that have really helped improve the reliability. You know, that just as, a, as an example point there, Dan, if you look at, there was a report recently out from Recon Analytics and they did a, conducted a customer satisfaction survey and looking at what we call the NPS or the Net Promoter Scores. And surprisingly, FWA now surpasses cable and DSL in uh, the Net Promoter Score in terms of customer satisfaction. These next-gen systems are not just performing well, but they are setting new benchmarks in customer satisfaction as well. Yeah, I think the thing that I'd like to expand on so prior to the technology changes, when we talked about fixed wireless, we talked about either direct line of sight or point to multi-point type applications. Now that we're utilizing the wireless spectrum in 5G and with the carriers, now we actually don't have to have line of sight in order to get wireless internet that now has bandwidth requirements that are it's off the charts compared to what we were used to. So that's one of the reasons that it's so more effective for the carriers in their growth. Would you explain that as that way is for the consumer, now you have another choice and it could be through your wireless carrier versus in the past, you would have to choose an ISB or a WISP that had a direct line of sight to your property. Is that the difference? Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely the case. And what has allowed the, the operators, the mobile carriers to be able to do this is They've noticed as networks have been upgraded, this whole move towards 5G did create some excess capacity. And, and that, you know, we estimate that for the tier ones initially, that was 15, 20% more capacity that was available. And in terms of being able to provide coverage, then as I said, just between T-Mobile and Verizon, they're each covering with their 5G networks, 40, 50 million homes for uh, that they could potentially deliver fixed wireless. So it becomes just a lot easier to provide service, be able to package that with all kinds of offers, combining it potentially with, with, with mobile services. And that uh, has worked very well for the consumers. So overall, it's been a sort of a win-win. You mentioned earlier the tier one versus regional operators. For our listeners that aren't aware, um, you know, most of us are aware of the major cellular carriers, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon. Many of us that might live in more rural parts of the country might be familiar with other brands, uh, brands like U.S. Cellular, for example. But most people may not necessarily buy their service from those companies. There's 90 some regional operators in the U.S., right? 
And so you buy your service from Verizon, let's say, when you leave the area that Verizon has network, you're just going into one of those regional operators networks and you're roaming. And to the consumer, you don't know that you're not on Verizon's network. So with regard to that, we know that two of the big three carriers in T-Mobile and Verizon are providing fixed wireless access. AT&T hasn't really played in that space yet. They've been really more focused on their fiber product. What's your position or what's your take on these 90-some regional operators? And should they be looking at fixed wireless access as a new line of business to their customers where maybe they're not selling through Verizon or T-Mobile, but instead direct to the customer? I think that this is this represents, as we talked about, a huge bright spot in the industry overall, which there have been some challenges in growing the mobile subscriber base because that growth seems to be in at about a 310, 315 million phones in the U.S. That, that number is harder to grow now. And there are challenges around growing the average revenue per user as well, the ARPU challenges. And these challenges are faced not just by the tier one operators, but also by the regional operators and fixed wireless access can be a great play for the regional operators as well so especially when they look at a 5g upgrade strategy uh, you definitely can take into account fwa as one of those early monetization opportunities because as uh, as we noted earlier what the tier once noticed was that when they did do these upgrades it did create a little bit of excess capacity which they were able to uh, package into home broadband type of services and be able to sell that. For regionals, it's an even more bigger, perhaps more interesting opportunity because in rural semi-urban type of places where there is already a lot of challenge getting um, cable in, in many fiber is, is difficult to deploy. And we believe regional operators can step in and play a big role here in, in also helping bridge the digital divide. To your point on the bridging the digital divide, as we've talked about in some other episodes, the federal government has issued quite a bit of subsidization to bridge that digital divide over the last few years in significant dollars. Some billions of dollars have been allocated for deployment of broadband to get broadband to underserved and unserved parts of rural United States. What's your take on how the economics now of getting broadband to these rural parts of the U.S. change with fixed wireless access compared to, let's say, fiber? Because fiber has really been a lot of people's perspective of the primary way to get broadband to the digital divide suffering communities. How's fixed wireless access changed those economics? So just to step back, there is obviously, yes, there has been funding. There is more funding coming. The big new program that is coming uh, now, uh, coming down the pike is the BEAD program. This is a 40, this is about $42.5 billion available uh, through the NTIA. Solving the digital divide, it's a complex challenge. So the FCC, uh, if you look at the latest broadband map of the US, as part of the beat process, they have to go and identify how many unserved and underserved locations there were. So if you look of the total 114 million addresses or locations in the U.S., uh, again, according to the FCC map, they designate 8.5 million as unserved and about 3.8 million underserved locations where people can't get that 100 by 20 uh, service or even less than that for internet access. 
And these are now eligible for subsidies for broadband build-out through the BAIT program. So the fund, as we know, is $42.5 billion, And if you take out the administrative and overhead, that leaves about, about $40.5 billion. That is actually available for disbursement to the 50 states. So if you do the math of the 12.5 million locations and $40.5 billion, that amounts to roughly $3,400 subsidy available per broadband service location. And our estimate is, uh, and there is a lot of uh, reports out there that you can go look, but on an average, it's about $7,500 to deploy fiber to the home uh, across the U.S. And that's an average. You look at, you know, uh, states like Montana or, or some of these other remote places that could be as high as eighteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Right there, there is a huge gap that with the bead funds that are going to be available, you're not going to be able to deploy reliable fiber to to all the unserved and underserved locations. And we believe uh, fixed wireless access there can uh, really step in and and help stretch those dollars with low cost. We estimate less is is about 60% less expensive as compared to rolling out fiber to to a residence. It takes, it's a lot faster. Instead of deploying with fiber, permitting can take years sometimes. With wires, it's a matter of, you know, a couple of months you can get service up. So we feel like the FWA and regional operators have will have a huge role to play in bridging the digital divide and as part of the paid program. And overall, it will definitely, it's something that the states are also looking at. If you look at the 15 or so states that have submitted their initial proposals to the NTIA, a lot of states are now allowing for extremely high cost locations the use of, in addition to fiber, the use of uh, fixed wireless broadband as an alternative for providing uh, broadband services. So I think it's set up quite nicely, but this is one area where FW can, can really help. So one question that comes to mind, I definitely see the application of FWA. When we talk about real reliability of the service, how do we compare that to the new competitors like Starlink? And because they're both competing for rural broadband, what's provided, what would be a difference in that? Just like we talked about how fiber can't reach everywhere, uh, there, there are places where satellite and wireless can. For when it comes to satellite internet, in good scenarios, you when you have multiple satellites, you can see you could get about 100 megabits. So it's not quite as fast as what you would, might get with LTE or 5G. It's not even close. And there is also this issue of latency, although these are low-Earth orbiting satellites, there is still in the orders of, you're talking here, tens of milliseconds versus that could be a very high latency link when you're talking satellite internet. So yes, there are going to be those very few locations where if there is no choice, then satellite might be the way to go. But we believe this is all, um, it's all part of the solution. So fiber, uh, cable, fixed wireless, as well as satellite are all good options for uh, remote rural communities and semi-urban locations. If you go back and listen to our episode that Wayne and I did on talking about satellite internet service, these low Earth orbit satellites that Starlink uses, which are much closer to the Earth than the traditional HughesNet and Viasat satellites that from generation one, even at low Earth, they're still 250 to 1,000 miles above the Earth. Compare that to a fixed wireless access site that's one to five miles away from the subscriber. So that sheer distance difference pushes the limits of physics, right? 
So I think they all have their place and their application, but I think it's a good question, Wayne, because on a relative basis, it can help people understand that you got to push those bits of energy a thousand miles versus one mile. You start running into some physical limitations in terms of the laws of physics. And also, by the way, those satellites are trying to provide service to thousands of homes because they cover such a large area versus a fixed wireless access node is only covering an area that may have a few hundred homes. Uh, so you're sharing that bandwidth with fewer of your quote unquote neighbors. So I think it's a great question. And I think it, it plays an important role because these projects that the federal government is funding are still not going to reach every home in the U.S. They're still not going to reach parts of Alaska. And so I think satellite is going to be a great option for a lot of those folks. Yeah. 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 Although I think, again, just to be clear, Dan, I think with the types of FWA offerings and that, that are available now, we think this is, this is a fairly robust and good option with, with just wireless internet. But you're right, there are, there are going to be some pockets that may not even be served with FWA. And, and you could have scenarios where even for uh, some emergency type operation, when, when you need temporary networks, those satellite links then become invaluable and can provide reach and coverage where other modes of internet access are not available. I'm pretty sure that the bulk of their deployments so far have been in more dense urban areas um, where they get more bang for their buck. And that I think there's quite a bit of expansion capability that they still have to reach even more yeah. homes than they are now. I think that's a fair assumption. It is. And it's actually a good mix. It's, I think if you look at, there is a report from T-Mobile. It's called the FWA State of the Market. And they basically today, uh, in terms of just demographics, have um, about 40 to 45% of their subscribers of this FWA service are in the suburban areas, about 35% in rural markets. And then I think it's about 20% or so that are in urban locations. But there are, there's still, uh, that, that's mostly suburban and rural, but there, there are quite a few in urban locations as well. I think it's been really insightful. I'll have to ask, since you work for Samsung, such a great company in technology, what are some new things that you guys are working on that you can share of what we can look forward to? So as far as this topic, we are constantly looking for ways to improve performance. If you look at the FWA network, it's not just the radio, but there's also a CPE device that is at the subscriber or in a residence, indoor or outdoors. And there are a number of enhancements that we are looking at to improve not just the downlink stability of the link, improve throughput and capacity, but even for the uplink, we are working with some of our CPE partners to, to bring in some of those features to be able to improve link reliability and improve uplink uh, throughput performance. Listen, TJ, I know, I know you're busy. You've given earnestly of your time. Thank you so much for giving us uh, the insights on fixed wireless access. We look forward to maybe touching base again down the road as we get into 6G and what 6G might, might do. I know a lot of people ask Wayne and I all the time, are we going to have to change the name of our podcast? But Thank you so much for your time. Tell our listeners, is there any way they can uh, contact you or reach out to Samsung or, or learn more about what Samsung's doing? Yeah, we, we've got a great website, samsungnetworks.com, and that's got a way to contact our marketing folks, 
um, and, and our salespeople as well. So that'd be a good place to, to go. But again, thank you, Dan, and thank you, Wayne, for the time and uh, enjoyed speaking with you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.